0: This is the Marsh and Mat Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan.
1: Welcome to the latest edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan along with you. We also have a great guest for the first time on the show, Nash Walker. And uh, we promised uh, a baseball intensive, twins intensive, trade deadline intensive show. And we've got that for you today. Nash is with Twins Daily. He also is the host of Locked on Twins, and he's a broadcaster with the Palm Springs Power this summer. You can find him on Twitter at Nash Walker Nine. And he's also a fellow Minnesota native as well. Nash uh, joins us now. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I grew up in Wyzetta, Plymouth, Wyzetta area. I uh, was at the, the, I always try to say, like when I'm describing myself, I was at the, AP game in the Metrodome rafters when he broke the rushing record, and that was—I uh, don't remember what year that was. What year was that, Mars? Do you know?
1: That was our freshman Matt and my freshman year of college. Um, and
2: USC also so, That
1: Mass that year.
2: By the yep. way, yeah, 2007. Um, so I was, yep. Yeah, I was, was 2007. <laughs> I was seven years old up in the rafters at the Metrodome uh, watching AP do that. So. Been going to Vikings and Twins games forever, obviously, uh, like you guys, lifelong Twins and Vikings fan, and um, now T-Wolves more, because they look better, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get into hoops a little bit more, but yeah, always Twins, Game 163, I was out with my dad and sister, Vikings, I I had tickets to the game uh, when the Dome collapsed, and we were going to drive to Detroit. But we ended up just not going. I really wanted to go, but we ended up not going. So, yeah, long history. Certainly, like my entire life is Minnesota sports, as you guys probably know as well with your lives. At yeah. least
0: you weren't uh, at the 1998 uh, game. I'm guessing, like Marshall and I both were. Uh, yeah, we were.
2: <laughs> which one? What, which game?
1: Vikings Falcons. Uh, oh, Gary An- okay. Gary Anderson. Yeah,
0: at the arguably
1: dome? arguably more heartbreaking than the bounty gate game because yes that game huge, i cried myself to sleep that game. i mean i i love winning it with brett Favre would have been like the ultimate but yeah that 98 team was so good i lost one game by three points in the regular wow. season so wow yeah,
2: it's crazy. i remember but, I, I cried myself to sleep the bounty gate night um yeah. I was nine, and I w- went up into my little bunk bed and just cried myself. I was like, "This is just horrible." And that's kind of my first memory of like sports pain was the Pounty Gate game. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at least it it usually won't get as painful as that. Yeah, uh, true. That
2: was, and then obviously the Eagles game sucked, but they were never. I mean, they weren't in that game until they scored. Rudolph scored, and it was like from that point forward, they were not in that game. So no, I was like, no.
1: And, and then the other thing is. You know, that was the NFC championship game. Unfortunately, with our beloved twins, they haven't. Yeah, we've had a lot of playoff pain, but we don't really know what losing an American League championship series feels like. I mean, I remember in 2002 when Matt and I were in middle school, what it felt like after winning game one against the Angels and then losing four straight in that stupid rally monkey. But (laughs) other than that, um, I mean, and Adam Kennedy. I forgot about the rally monkey. How
0: can you forget? Clearly, <laughs> um, clearly PTSD and tried to block it from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: but, but sadly, 18 straight playoff losses and a lot of non-playoff seasons in there, um, you know, after six out of nine divisions. And it's been bad. But we are bringing Nash on, in part, to tell us how this team will not only hang on for the division, but hopefully we like to be optimistic, hopefully end that playoff drought and do more than just win a game, hopefully win a series or multiple series. Um, And and that's, and that's where I kind of wanted to start. Although let's backtrack just a little bit as to how you got to where you are now, because we know you're a big sports fan, but you went to Mizzou for, for, uh, for broadcasting, one of the great journalism schools in the country and got into play-by-play there and, now you're, you know, you did it this summer and writing a lot, hosting a lot. Um, how did you get into all of that?
2: Yeah, honestly, like being at Mizzou, uh, the Twins stuff and the work, like the writing I was doing connected me to home. So the 2019 team, I was more involved with the Twins than I'd been in a really long time because it did connect me to home. And my closest buddies at Mizzou are huge White Sox fans. So it's very weird, but like that was part of it that there was this rivalry that year specifically with me and these White Sox fans who are still my best friends. And that still plays a part. Like my passion for the team goes back way before this. But when I got to college, there was this sense of pride in my hometown teams that I'd never felt before because I'd always been at home. And when I left home, I had this newfound pride for the Vikings and this newfound pride for the twins. And it was it, it translated into I want to do some work. I want to get better at writing. I want a podcast. And it just kind of came together and I haven't stopped. And that's the the thing. Like this is my third season, five days a week at Lockdown Twins, fourth season at Twins Daily. I just haven't stopped. And I've tried to just continue to grow in the content creation. But yeah, my freshman year at Mizzou is when I kind of just decided I wanted to get really into the twin season. And, And since then it's, I haven't looked back.
1: And the great thing is too, you you do it in different ways. Like the the Lockdown Twins is obviously the, the podcast, but you you do a lot of writing, uh, for Twins Daily. And what's awesome about that is, I mean, you can watch the Twins from anywhere. You don't have to be necessarily a beat reporter. It'd be you wouldn't consider yourself that. No. But 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 you can still provide quality content, and I think people are appreciating. Uh, that, and you guys have a lot of different writers. I agree with you a lot more than some others on there, on there, on there who I sometimes do battle with on Twitter. I love Seth. Seth is yeah you know who I'm talking about, but a- anyway, I-, I think it's I think it's great. You can do the play by play and the writing and the hosting and then just kind of see where where things lead you, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. and like the the when I started at Locked on. We were making. I, I remember, like, my first paycheck at lockdown before they were acquired by Tegna. This was in December of 2019 or January of 2020. And my first paycheck for a month at lockdown was 17 bucks. And I remember getting it. And I was like, "Well, I would do this for free. Like, I would do it five days a week for free, no question." And don't I tell just, them.
1: Don't don't uh, use that negotiating <laughs> strategy. No, absolutely not.
2: <laughs> absolutely not. But I've seen it grow, and it's grown to a place where, like, I'm I can you know, live in Palm Springs while still doing the podcast while writing. We're like, I can make enough through those avenues where I can, I can build, you know, while I'm here, which is so nice now when before that was more of just like, I'm, I'm still trying to build. I've always been trying to build, but now it feels like it's more of a job, you know? And I, again, would probably do it for free. Like I love to do it. I love talking about the twins, but now it feels more like a job than it has, at all because the Tegna acquisition was huge for us and that the network has just grown. So it's been, it's been fun to be a part of for sure.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, that gives uh, the listeners some background as to how Nash got to where he is. Let's let's dig in here to the twins. And at first wanted to ask just an overall thought on the season and thought as you come into the trade deadline, where is this team compared to where you thought they were at the beginning of the season and then and then part two, although I usually hate two part questions, but I think it's valid here. part two: where is the team now at, at at the trade deadline? how do you assess this team?
2: I do think it's accurate that it's on opening day, we knew they failed to add another frontline starter. That was known, right? They, they were lacking pitching on opening day. They're lacking pitching today. That's been the case for months now and been the case for how many years with the twins. So we knew that. I knew on opening day there was a chance that this team could be really good if they had steps forward from their young pitchers, if Curry and Buxton stayed healthy together, if other offensive pieces took steps forward. I thought the team had a chance to be really good. I also thought there was a chance they were going to be like last year's team because they, they don't have the pitching. They've been, you know, somewhere in the middle, more toward a good team than a bad team. But I think it's hard to argue that they are one of the premier teams in baseball. I mean, clearly they're not. I think in 2019, you could have made that argument in the first half and, and not look like a fool. If you made that argument now, would be like, I don't know who you're watching. The biggest difference is how bad the White Sox have been, right? And they're back to 500. But that's the biggest difference. If the White Sox were playing like the White Sox were supposed to play and the Twins were six games above 500. I think we'd be looking at it a lot differently, but they are in first place because the White Sox haven't been good. They've been very disappointing. I think they're coming. I think the tra- trajectory of these two teams is going in opposite directions. I think the Sox are playing much better. The Twins are playing worse. So I worry mostly about the White Sox. I'm not super worried about Cleveland, honestly, for the rest of the year. Maybe I should be because they're, they're closer, but I just see the White Sox as a team that has not yet played their best baseball. And you could argue the Twins haven't played their best baseball either, but the Sox are so talented and we know how good they were supposed to be that that's my biggest concern uh, is the White Sox just go on a run with one of the easiest schedules in baseball in the second half. They got the A's twice. They got the Tigers a bunch more, the Royals, and the Twins just don't have the luxury of that many like easy games, although they've played, almost played better teams, you know, better than they've played worse teams this year. It's been weird.
1: So so that, that kind of leads into my next question, because there's also two different ways to look at the trade deadline, I think. One, what do the Twins need to do to compete and hang on and win the division? Because that's task one. That's right. the only way you guarantee a playoff spot. Even with three wild cards, there's a chance if you don't win the division, you're out. Good chance. How good chance. At, yeah. Look how well Seattle's won 14 straight. Uh, you have Toronto and Tampa right there in the East. I mean, and and Cleveland and, and Chicago. So there, there's that. And then there's what everybody seems to be talking about. Oh, they can't compete with the Astros and the Yankees. Well, yeah, like <laughs> like you just said, basically no S. I mean that that's that's the that's the reality. So what do they need? to acquire firstly to hang on and win the central and then to actually take that next step.
2: They need the frontline starter. They didn't get in the winter, right? They need to go get that frontline starter. The bullpen looks a lot worse than it did on opening day. They need two good relievers as well. Minimum, they need a high leverage reliever and they need like a middle innings, higher upside reliever, in my opinion. So two good relievers, a frontline starter. I think I'd feel much better about the roster as a whole, the, the thing I don't understand is, like, this team has lost 18 straight postseason games. You guys are talking about the last time they made an ALCS, and I, like, I have no recollection of that at all. To me, it's so weird to think, like, oh, they have no chance in the ALDS against the Astros or Yankees, so let's just punt on the second half when there's a series before that. If they win the Central, they get a home series at Target Field where we've seen one playoff game. We've seen one playoff game at Target Field you get a home playoff series at target field. You can end that streak. I'm not saying they have a good chance to beat the Astros, or the Yankees, but if you can win a playoff series at target field and you, you get into the ALDS and you play those teams and you can compete with them I, that, I'm taking that way more than I'm taking a punt on the second half. You know, I'd much rather they try they, and if it, it fails, it fails. If it doesn't, they're in the playoffs and they get home playoff games at target field. And for me, like as a, a guy who wants to see the team, win in the playoffs as everybody does i just want to see them end that streak and make some noise and i think they have the potential to do that with the right with the right moves at the deadline i i just think it's weird it's not this team is so clearly not world series or bust right like if they want a playoff series at target field i think that'd be that'd be really nice to end that playoff losing streak so i I'm focused on that. And, and I think, yes, one good frontline starter, one of the Castillo Montas or Mali caliber, and then two good relievers. And I think my confidence level would go way up.
0: So it sounds like you think they should be buyers, but when you are buyers, you inevitably have to give people up in order to, you know, make these big moves. Who are the people, whether it's on the current, major league baseball roster or the, the higher level prospects, do you think that the twins should be willing to part with, to get that, you know, frontline starter or relievers and who's kind of on the, no question cannot touch list.
2: There's not a lot of those guys, honestly, unfortunately, Austin Martins had a really bad year at double a Jordan Balzavik's had a brutal year at triple a. So those two, it's like, you're really selling low. If you trade one of those two, but I think the clear trade candidate, and I don't like to name names because like I've had some of these guys on my podcast, Like <laughs> Spencer Steer came on my podcast in the winter, but he's so clearly to me, somebody who would be in a trade for a frontline starter, right? Had a big breakout season last year in the power department has translated into this year in the upper minors. He plays a position basically as the same player as Jose Miranda in terms of positional value, first, second, and third. So Steer sticks out to me. And if he can end up playing the outfield, which they've tried to move him around a little bit, that changes the equation, perhaps. But Miranda and Steer are redundant to me, especially when Gio Rochelle is under contract for next year. So Steer is so clearly in a package. I think if we see them trade for Mally Castillo or Montas, I would be shocked if Spencer Steer is not a part of one of those. And if he's not, then Miranda probably is. And they're betting more on Steer than they are on Miranda in that case. So I think. Him, like Matt Wallner from Forest Lake, I worry about him in the big leagues because he strikes out so much in the minors and guys who strike out a lot in the minors usually strike out a lot in the majors and there's a fine line, right? That doesn't mean he can't be a good player, but there's a fine line and, and he does strike out a lot, although he's had a great year. You don't necessarily want to trade the Minnesotans. They have guys to move. They have guys to move. I think even Josh Winder, I'm, you know he's looked really good for the most part, hasn't really struck anybody out, but even him, like, how how tightly are you gripping on to these guys when you know that Mali, Castillo, or Montas is also under contract for next year? That's such a big part of the equation for me. If you went out and got Frankie Montas, then next year you have Kentamaeda back, you got Joe Ryan, you have Sonny Gray, you have Montas, you have other guys. If Correa's off the books, you have money to spend. I know they haven't spent on starting pitching in free agency, but you would have hypothetically, you would have money to spend to even improve more in your rotation. So That's a big part of the equation for me. If these guys were rentals, it'd be a different conversation, but you also have them for next year, a year the twins stated when they traded Barrios was going to be a year that they're back into contention. So that's a big part of the equation. But yes, I think Matt Steer sticks out to me as a guy who could have mine one of those packages. They're going to need to get more, whether that's Winder, Louis Varland, Wallner. It's going to have to be more than Steer, but he's just somebody who, who looks redundant on the roster as currently constructed.
0: You mentioned Maeda. There's talk of Kenny come back this year. Sano's another person. Where do you see those two fitting in with the Twins roster currently? Deal, you know, in particular when it comes to Sano, does he have a place to fit? You know what? You know, how do you see those two, uh, you know, playing out the rest of the season? What would you like to see happen with those two?
2: Well, Kent is super intriguing and he's going to, if he comes back, it'll be in the bullpen, but he's been awesome in the Dodgers bullpen in the past, you know, in the playoffs. So it's super intriguing to think about him down the stretch as a bonus bullpen arm for the twins. So that's, that's really exciting. So, no, we're going to find out probably in the next week what's happening with him. I think I'm with a lot of people. You know, Jose Miranda should not be losing playing time to really anybody on this roster right now, Gio Rochelle is included in that, in my opinion, and certainly Miguel Sano's included in that. So, I don't think Miranda should lose playing time to Sano. That's not even... Really a thought. Obviously, Alex Kirloff, Luis or I should not be losing any playing time to Miguel Sano. So, I, I mean, it's tough to fit him in. I agree with that. Now, I think Gilberto Celestino is probably a fine send down right now. If you wanted to bring back Sano and give him a chance, you can probably send Celestino down, who has not hit for any power this year, which is it's surprising to me because he was a guy who you can get, he gets into his legs and he hit for some power in the minor. So, I'm surprised he hasn't really done that this year. But you could send him back to AAA, bring up Sano. It's more of a question of, where is he playing? And all it takes is one injury. You know, as soon as Urshela goes down, now Miranda's your third. You know, everyday third baseman. Or if Miranda gets hurt, or he's he's dinged up, or Kirilov, it takes one thing to happen, and Sano can be back into the picture. But right now, I mean, it's hard to say anybody with how close this divisional race is. Anybody their playing time brought down is a good decision to bring Miguel Sano's up. As right now, I'm not super down on Miguel Sano. I think he might be able to help them in the second half if he was right. But how can you count on that right now? It's, it's really hard to, to put your chips in the basket that hasn't really produced since the second half of 2019.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that you can't count on Snow. but I'm a little higher on Sano than, than maybe you are, or may, certainly what I see in Twins Twitter, just casting him off. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I would count on it, but when he is hot, He can carry a team for two weeks at a time, if not a little more. And now when he's down, he's among the worst hitters in baseball. When he's hot, though, he's among the best in baseball. There is not much middle ground. And I will take my chances that two of those weeks will be in September or in October, even even better. That would be incredible. And he's in a contract year. So if the man is ever going to be motivated, it's going to be right now. And, and he seems to be in decent shape. So I'm not, I'm not going to discount. And by the way, the twins, I think have been shut out more than any other team in baseball, if I'm not mistaken, or near the top. I mean, they've had days where they could use a Miguel snow three run bomb uh, to, to possibly vault them back into a ball game. So, the guy I would say is Kyle Garlick. Kyle yeah, Garlick has that's played that's a lot against left-handed pitching. He's fine. It he, he can provide some power, but he doesn't have near the power of Miguel Sano When Sano is, is right. Not even close.
2: Well, here's the thing too. I'll add on so many people t- t- tuned out last year and I don't blame them, but I was still doing five days a week <laughs> sitting here, not here, <laughs> but like at school and at home doing five days a week podcast on the twins in the second half of last year. He was awesome in the second half last year. He was who he usually is in the second half. We have overwhelming evidence to say Miguel Sano in the second half of seasons is usually pretty good. And he was great in 2019. He was good last year in the second half. We have evidence to say that he usually is good in the second half. So I'm with you, Marsh. I think he could provide value to them. Uh, It's just hard to like, how much are you putting up with to get to that value? Is it worth the payoff? You know what I mean? If you put him in there, And he needs to struggle for two weeks before he's right. Could you lose the division in those two weeks in the second half? I think that's something you have to grapple with.
1: Yeah. Next question. Relievers. You threw out some names of starters, such as Montas and and Melee, for example. Castillo. Uh, Who are the relievers you have your eye on? Because I agree with you. They need a frontline starter, but they need, just as badly, two back end of the bullpen guys. Who are those guys you're looking at?
2: Daniel Bard in Colorado is my number one, for sure. Uh, great stuff. 98 fastball, hard, sharp, high spin slider, pretty typical relievers mix, right-handed reliever, high leverage. He would be your eighth inning guy sets up for Duran in the ninth. I mean, that's pretty clear to me. You can go Jacks, Bard, uh, Duran, seven, eight, nine in that order in in your highest of leverage spots. So Daniel Bard, Obviously, David Robertson has been very good in in Chicago. I worry a little bit that he's, you know, 37 years old and could break down a little bit down the stretch, but I like him as well in Chicago. So Bard and Robertson are the two rentals I'm looking at. And we know this regime. We know that they go after rental relievers. They're they're way less likely to go after controllable relievers and to pay more for a controllable reliever. So if they got Daniel Bard, that would be a great start. You get Bard and even just like a sixth or seventh inning guy, and I'd feel much better about the bullpen.
0: Gotcha. Matt has a question. There's been a ton of talk on Twins Twitter this year about the Falvey, Rocco, analytics-heavy approach. Whether it is not letting the starting pitching go, you know, the third time through the lineup. Or sticking with the plan of we're not going to pinch hit Byron Buxton on his day off. What is your take on the analytics approach that, you know, we've been critical on this podcast of saying it veers into the territory of being robotic, where we're not going to, there's no sort of, I'm feeling an instinct about how this game is going, let me adjust to that element. What say you, Nash Walker?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think this is the way that he's operated and he's going to operate the same way. You know, he's done this since he came in in 2019. Hasn't changed. He takes big risks in the middle of games that will probably make him look like a fool if it doesn't work. And sometimes it does. And I think he has made decisions this year where I'm like, I, I, I watch it play out and you have to, you have to think in the moment, be like, Hey, is this a decision I would have made in the moment? Cause it's so easy hindsight to be like, well, it's cause they pulled Devin Smeltzer in the fourth, but you have to think in that scenario, what you're seeing and what, you know, what's in front of you. Is that a decision you would have made? I actually think the Smeltzer decision in the White Sox game was more about what they were seeing out of Devin Smeltzer than it was, Hey, we're going to pull him the third time through. I didn't think he looked good at all. Now there are times when guys are rolling, you know, quote unquote rolling and they get pulled anyway. So it's just a very rigid approach and Marshall and I've actually talked about this before the it's just, it's very rigid. And I think they're rigid in the off season. They're rigid in game. I would like to see more soft, like soft approach to an off season or soft approach to bullpen management, to starter usage. They could get softer in that regard. I agree with you. And I think that's especially true. And we might see it again at the deadline of these, rules they have where they do not invest very much in a bullpen and free agency where they refuse to hand out a five-year deal to a starting pitcher it would be nice to see them get away from that a little bit get away from these rules that have not really helped them it doesn't feel like over over now six years of of time as a front office and for ball belly since 2019
1: yeah uh, the the overall planning going into a game that's fine I mean, the overall philosophy of not giving out huge deals to start. I mean, that's fine to have your overall framework, but you said the exact phrase, watching the game. That is what I just don't see. And I'm not one to just blame Rocco. I think this is a organizational thing. They said on day one, if you listen and read, you don't even need to read between the lines, just read the lines. Mm -hmm. They said, this is going to be a partnership, you know, what is that exactly? Now, that's then where you read between the lines. What, is, what does it mean? Well, I mean, it means that the, some of these decisions are going to be joint. Do I mean to infer that he's calling up Thad and, and Falvey during the game? No, obviously not. But they have influence over what the lineup is, and not just them, others as well. Josh Kalk is, is big. And I'm not saying all this is bad, but this is not just a Rocco thing. And I think he needs to be given the reins to watch the game a little bit more. And they have, there's a reason they hired him. There's a reason they hired him. And in addition to the people around it, Jace Tingler, who's a former big league manager. I know Louis Ramirez extremely well. He was the pitching coach in Fort Myers in 2019 and a, and a brilliant mind. And not only that has a great feel for the personalities in, in the clubhouse, which I think is, is lost a little bit sometimes. So I, I just hope my worry is we saw what happened with Houston, in the Houston series and the Yankees series, but especially the Houston series where Kenta Maeda and then Jose Barrios, even more so rolling along Barrios, pitching the game of his life. And who do they, not only do they pull him, the third time through the order, because that's the thing they do. They bring in Cody Stashak. and and that's just not you manage your bullpen differently in the postseason cody Stashak doesn't get in games unless you need to put cody Stashak in games taylor rogers pitches every damn game especially in a division series or a best of three series like sergio romo every game that's i was at game one at yankee stadium
2: adam adovino came out to face nelson cruz in like the fourth inning of that game yeah yeah. He was there, well, he, he went, was to, went to Rocco went to shag in that game too. He went. Yes, to he did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When it was yes. only a
1: one-run game, they were yep. down. That's the other thing. When they're down, they never bring in the top guns, which I get somewhat in the regular season because you can't wear these guys out. But in the postseason, no, no, yep. no, you have to change how you manage in the postseason, and I don't see any indication based on that Yankees and Houston series that they will. I hope I'm wrong.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think also like it's it's unfortunate that so much gets put on Rocco because as you said, he had to pitch Randy Domnick in Game Two of that series. You yeah, know, that wasn't just him, right? That wasn't right. just
1: him. Come on, right,
2: right. It's it's also that they, it is like I've been hard on Rocco. I feel like this year, at least, much harder than I've been on him in the past, just personally, like the decisions he's made. I also think it's true, like they don't have bullpen arms, like they just don't have them, and they don't have a good rotation this year. It's Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy and, you know, Obers hurt and it's Joe Ryan and Sonny Grays look bad now for, you know, three or five, three to five starts. So it's like, it's very difficult to just put And I'm glad you say like, it's a collaborative thing both ways when it works well, it's a collaborative thing when it doesn't work well, it's a collaborative thing. And it's very easy to jump on Rocco because he's the face we see, but ultimately at the end of the day, like Falvey and Levine have a big part in all of those decisions. As you said,
1: also, uh, he, I think he makes it easy to jump on him sometimes with some of the robotic explanations. He
2: gives. Yeah, yeah.
1: When he's like, we're gonna, you know, the hundred games thing with Bucks, he just puts his foot in his mouth too many times. I don't think he particularly enjoys talking to the media. Apparently, yeah. off camera, he's like really cool. Um, I've dealt with him once off camera, and he and he was cool. But yeah, I mean that's just. Some of the stuff he says and the way he explains it is almost like lecturing too. All right. Moving on from, uh, from twins, overall philosophy, I think back into this trade deadline discussion, a lot out there about Carlos Correa lately, a lot of speculation. Um, I think the one part of speculation everyone agrees on is that he's likely to leave after this year An extension does not seem to be forthcoming. I would love it. Yeah. Uh, In my opinion, uh if you give byron buxton seven years i'll give carlos correa 10 damn years uh because he's on the field every day but i'm not the biggest buxton guy so um that's that anyway correa though a lot of people saying well if the twins stand pat then they should just trade correa i don't think that's off but i don't think the twins are going to stand pat either it seems to be like a, a straw man argument what do you think about all the rumblings on uh i guess twins twitter about uh Correa.
2: yeah i i see that and like i i understand i understand what people are saying i get it but like it, it's it to me it's a it's a cop-out for the front office in some ways it's they're in first place if you would have sh- i know they don't look like a first place team that's unquestionable they don't i watch them every night i know they don't look like a first place team but let's go back to opening day and I, I say this because it's perspective and I know it's, it's not always a foolproof way to look at it, but if you would have told me on April 7th, on opening day, hey, at the All-Star break, they'll be in first place. They'll be three games up on the White Sox. Don't even tell me about Cleveland because I still don't think Cleveland's going to do it. They'll be three games up on the White Sox. Wow. I mean, that's incredible. Oh, and people will be saying they should trade Carlos Correa because they don't, <laughs> have, they don't have a chance down the stretch. Like To me, that, when I put it in that context, it's like, really? Really? people are Why? Why would people be saying that? I'm not surprised. The pitching has not been very good recently. We knew that on opening day, right? We also knew that the offense had a chance to be really good. My goal for this team on opening day, maybe my expectations were were too low, but I thought, Hey, if they get to the trade deadline and they are within striking distance of a playoff spot and they are in a position to buy, that's a good spot to be in. And if that's the boxes to check, they've checked those boxes to the trade deadline and things could be different in two weeks. When we reach the deadline, they only have eight games until then though they'd have to go like one and seven knock on wood. But if you would have told me right now, this is where they would be. It's not even what it shouldn't even be discussed that they would trade Carlos Correa, right? You only get Correa for this year. To me, he shouldn't dictate whether you buy or sell like himself solely, but with the development we've seen from Kirilov and from Miranda and Buxton has been off the injured list which is a good thing. The offense has a chance to be very good. We, we know that. And I, you know, I've said that all year on my show as well. I said, this has, you know, this offense has a chance to be top three in the American league this year. So if the offense can keep up, which I think they can personally, I think the offense can keep up. You make the, you make the, the moves where you have holes and you have clear holes in the bullpen and you have a, a hole in the front of the rotation, you fill those holes and you take your best shot to me. You're not trading Carlos Correa in this situation. If the Sox were 15 games above 500 and the Twins were 50 and 44, and they're like chasing the Mariners, they're three games back. I would say, okay, maybe this, maybe you trade Correa and focus on 2023. But you can't let the Sox off the hook for the first half they just had. You can you can take advantage of it further by buying and making it more difficult for them in the second half. As like a competitor wanting my team to win, I just can't come around to the idea of we're in first place. Let's go sell our all-star all-world shortstop. Like that's just, to me, that doesn't make sense. To your your point, you
0: signed this unique deal knowing that there was a good chance that you would be maybe in this quasi, what do we do territory? We're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be potentially as good as the Yankees or the Astros, but we're competitive. So to me, like the decision was kind of made when you signed him to this deal, that you were willing to take him on for a year and potentially have him walk and not get anything. And right. I, don't, I don't think there's anything that's happened so far this year and where they're at to, to change that calculation that was already made. Right. Um, but to your point about the offense, it, and Marshall mentioned it, it's been really hot and cold and very much kind of in line with the analytics that we talked about of it's like, it's kind of home run or bust. Do you see that continuing how, what needs to happen in order to make it a little more consistent to especially if they make the moves on the pitching staff front yeah make winning consistent so that they're not going to have so many shutouts and lose so many games one nothing 2-1 3-2 type
2: to me, actually, so if you look at 2019, that was, uh, to me, obviously, a home. it felt more of a home runner bus team because just look at the individual parts. You had CJ who who is known as like a low on base, high home, like high power guy. Jonathan Scope, Nelson Cruz, who was amazing all around. But it, it was a different team in 2019. It was a different lineup. To me, when you look at the individual parts of this team, Luis Arise is Clearly, obviously, he's the opposite of that. Carlos Correa is going to hit 280 every year with power. He's going to get on base. He's going to draw walks. He's not home runner bust to me. Baron Buxton is and has been this year. Alex Shirloff's not. Jose Miranda's not. Like, a lot of the indiv- individual pucks, Jorge Polanco certainly is not. So, when you look at it that way, to me, they're not home runner bust outside of who Buxton's been the last couple months, which has been home runner bust. Like, unquestionably, it's been a home run or nothing. So the individual parts like Gary Sanchez might be that too, but he's a catcher. So a lot of catchers are home runner bust catchers. I I don't think they are. I think they're actually much more contact oriented than they've been in the last couple of years. So that, that makes me more hopeful for the postseason. If you're looking for a team that is less reliant on that, then I think this team actually fits that mold better on the contrary. I think there've been times when they have runners on base, as Marshall said, where they could use a three run home run and they just haven't gotten it where they should be looking to pull the ball in the air when they have men in scoring position. It's great to put the ball in play. We know that, but at certain points I've said, Hey, they could use a big swing here. Like they could use a home run right here and they haven't gotten it as much as they got it in 19 or 20, or even last year when the offense was up and down. So, yeah, I don't know. I I don't really buy into home run or bust with the lineup as a whole, because these players individually, a majority of them in this lineup are not that way. You have a lot of well-rounded hitters, you know, Max Kepler. Like he's does not gonna strike out very much. He's gonna draw some walks. He hasn't even really hit for power this year, but he's another example of somebody who's not selling out for a home run. I think they might have one or two of those guys as currently constructed who do that.
1: Back on Correa. Um the other thing is you're not gonna get much for him. Yeah. You 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 are not gonna get, I mean, sure, he's better than the typical rental player he's outstanding he's a hall of fame caliber player if he continues on this trajectory but you're not going to get a lot for him because the contract is traded with him unless Mm -hmm. he signs an extension of the new team which is like unlikely uh, until after the season so there's that and here's the other thing you see teams a lot and you saw the twins kind of do this in 2019 although they tried to get stroman and who knows what the full story of that is. I don't think we'll ever know. That was really weird. Yeah. But they did not do enough in 2019 when the pieces fell after the deadline to improve that team. Like you said, they were a true contender that year. Their offense was right up there. Let me tell you a quick anecdote. I was at Yankee Stadium for game one, lucked into these incredible seats, um, the equivalent of the Champions Club. So I was eating, like, shrimp and lobster and steak before the game and, and, and feeling, here, we, here come the Twins in the Yankee Stadium, and, and this time we actually have a chance. And it wasn't just me saying this, by the way. There were some Yankee fans in front of me who said, like, normally when you guys come in here, you know, I'm not worried. But I am worried. I am worried about your offense.
2: Yeah. And,
1: and, and justifiably so. That team was loaded offensively and by the way they weren't just homer or Buzz. they led the league in doubles yeah nelson cruz <laughs> hit a ton of doubles he was unbelievable as did, yeah i mean he was he was fantastic he was a board, he was an mvp candidate that year yeah. as a designated hitter so but they did not do enough to the pitching staff to help that team now the hitting failed in the postseason too let's be honest yeah. but the pitching was not good enough period other than Jake Odorizzi. Then, and the way they manage the bullpen, which we touched on earlier. You don't, you can't just assume that you're going to keep contending and keep building. You have one year with Carlos Correa. Could some other aspects of the team be better as Miranda and Keir Loftaville? Yeah. But you have one year with this unique talent, only this year guaranteed with them. To me, go for
2: it with him you how about much less yeah Go
1: ahead.
2: i was just gonna say a 27 year old with like one of the best postseason track records yes of all time right we normally we don't have players on the team
1: who are world champions or have any playoff success whatsoever so i'm not saying that's going to translate necessarily There's still going to be underdogs against the astros or yankees but it's a short series things can happen But anything can happen a lot uh, more. It's more likely that like anything can happen, quote unquote, when you are closer in talent and they need to get closer in talent in order for the randomness of the postseason to even come into play.
2: I would like to see the process change. Like you mentioned 2019. I would like them to learn from 2019. You know, you have another team that's in first place. I would like to see them adjust and change their style this year i I don't know if they will you know they had a wild off season like i will credit that they went they went for it after the lockout and they still missed on a frontline starter but they signed carlos correa they traded for Sonny, they tried to win this year and they can just continue to try to do that at the deadline i i hope they do as a fan and i personally think they will i'll be surprised if they don't yeah
1: and this is the last thing no sorry last thing on that matt just quickly boris did in fairness boris came to them with the idea True. of correa that was reported excellently by dan hayes and ken rosenthal in the athletic i still remember reading that article kind of like wide-eyed that, that scott boris is the one who actively reached out to the minnesota twins and saw when they didn't get story that correa with this short-term deal might be an option excellent by the way boris is also royce lewis's agent Yep. So keep that and in mind. He, and Kirilov, and Kirilov, yeah. but as it relates to Correa, he said, "Hey, worst case scenario, you have my guy at Correa for a year, and then Lewis climbs mm-hmm. on in." Which wasn't he as, hopefully, a, hopefully as a side note, he will at some point next year.
0: As a side note, wasn't there something about him talking to Luis Arias? uh, yeah. yes. Well, so well, think,
1: well, there's also Bruce Star Gratterall, and I know some of this from covering all these guys in the minor leagues. Bruce Gratterall went from Arise's original agency to Boris. Oh. Ariza stuck with his agent, and I don't know much more
2: to it than that. But of course, Boris wants Arise. It's well. It's way. <laughs> I think it's way too early to start getting worried about Luis Ariza's free agency. Yeah, <laughs> so and, and by the way, Arise's. they can sign. You're permitted to sign Scott yeah. clients. Yeah. He's he's
1: he's just the best at what he does.
2: Yep. Yep. Well, Luis Ariza has three more years after this year. He's got yes. three and a half years. Like it's not when we get closer. You don't need to have angst too early about Luis Sarai's. We'll see when the when the time comes. But I did write an article in the offseason about an extension, and they didn't they didn't do it. Now he exploded. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Touching on this dynamic a little bit,
0: does this? There's been some conversation around this, but uh, the latest sort of slide aside does this team seem different to you from a locker room mojo standpoint you know and 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 Marshall's point about Correa being someone who's actually won in the postseason or there was discussion about did does Donaldson bring some you know just sort of a dark cloud around him in terms of the locker rooms he's in you know what are what's your take on those dynamics and whether there's something there and this team is different or whether that's just, you know, sort of a, a story for the Twitterverse and, and the media to
2: pick up on. Things change. Clubhouses change. At the time, I loved the Donaldson signing. I was pushing for it for months before they signed Josh Donaldson. I thought he made a ton of sense for them to move Miguel Sano over. You improve the defense. Donaldson is a winner, not even close to Correa, but he's, you know, was looked at as like a leader, a winner in Toronto and in his career. So I thought he made a bunch of sense for them. And maybe if COVID doesn't happen, I mean, how many things would be different if COVID never happened, but if COVID doesn't happen, Maybe the twins are different. Maybe the Donaldson dynamic is different. Maybe things are different with the shortened season. And that was his first year. He was hurt for a majority of it. Then they're terrible last year. It just was sour for more ways than one. And I think they, they recognize that. And honestly, when they signed Donaldson for four years, they were looking at 20 and 21 and they didn't win in either of those years. They didn't win in the playoffs. He didn't even play in the playoffs in 2020. So, Once those two years were over, I think it was really easy for them to try to shop Josh Donaldson and Correa is just going to bring that wherever he goes. He's going to bring that, that energy. And I do think that the clubhouse feels different, but you still need talent at the end of the day. If you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You can have the best clubhouse in the world. You know, the white Sox through their rebuild thought to have such a fun, you know, lively, great clubhouse, but they sucked. Like they still sucked. And I'm talking more of like the 19, 2019 white Sox. looking back on them, the third place team. You can, you can have a great clubhouse and still not make the playoffs. You can have a great clubhouse and still not win in the playoffs. But it can help if you already have a good team. And maybe that's the thing that boosts the Twins when they make more additions. I think it has boosted them to this point. It seems like a close group. It seems like the infield especially is very close with the rise in Polanco and Correa and Urshela of really close group. And now Correa is kind of taken Miranda under his wing, which is awesome to see. You love to see that, the Puerto Ricans. Uh, so maybe that helps when they get better, but like, that's not going to push them over the top. I don't think without more additions, but it is something to, to like pay attention to. And I think the clubhouse has been different. The clubhouse is different when you're in first place though. So it goes both ways,
1: but I can tell you to that point, um, the guys I do know who I covered in the minor leagues, everyone loves Luis Arise. The first time I saw Luis Arise was when he was coming off his ACL in 2018. He joined us less than a month into the season. We were playing Dunedin. And we were staying at this hotel in Clearwater that we stayed at when we played Clearwater and Dunedin. And Arise was activated that day. He joined us in the middle of the road trip. And he came into the hotel lobby when we were waiting for the bus. And I- I've never seen guys embrace mm. a guy like that. It was, it was pretty unbelievable. Everyone was my dude to Luis Arise. <laughs> um, yeah. I later became my dude. I still still could call him today. And I would be like, the guy just hasn't changed. And so that's one thing. And he's becoming bilingual too. His English. I conducted his first English interview later that season on a bus in Bradenton. And he didn't want an interpreter for that one. Like he's really wants to learn English. He's done a better job with that. And, And then, I mean, Miranda translated for a lot of interviews like he's completely bilingual speaks great English so he can kind of bridge that gap so can Correa to to your point to your point there Urshela I talked to a mutual friend of Matt and mine who is a huge Yankees fan and he said yeah you can have Sanchez and but even Sanchez apparently has kind of turned over a new leaf in terms of his attitude but he said we're going to really miss Gio Urshela for more reasons than one. everybody loves Gio Urshela so I do think that it it does play a factor, especially, like you said, among position players, I think because they're in there every day. They're in there.
2: Yep, Absolutely. And I do think that there is uh, an aspect of the Latin infield together, like you said, to bridge that gap, to be together. There's obviously the camaraderie between Correa and Miranda, I'm sure because of the Puerto Rico tie and, you know, Polanco and Arise have been looks like close friends since Arise debuted in 2019. So it's, it is a tight, tightly knit group, you know, Kepler and Buxton are like best friends. So, I mean, they're all buddies. And I do think that, that, that can help. That can help. Certainly. I don't think it can hurt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was my only concern about when, when Ben Rortfett was traded in addition to his outstanding defense, that guy is right up there with a the rise in terms of the most loved clubhouse guys I've ever
0: seen. Uh, Matt, go ahead. I have one more fun question for you, Nash uh, okay. from Watching the All Star game, you know, I got to give Major League Baseball credit. They're normally considered a league that is way behind the times, tied to the tradition, not really being forward leaning. Uh, they did some stuff last night that worked and some stuff maybe that wasn't as successful. But I mean, the Alex Manoa commentary as he's pitching with, uh, you know, saying, I'm going to throw it here and here's what I'm thinking and all of that. What was your, I I know it's an exhibition game, which makes it different, but what was your take on, uh, on those elements? And some of it might be personality wise, what, you know, someone worked more than others, but what was your take on all of that?
2: We love to see as sports fans. We want to see like our favorite players. We want to see that personality. That's just like natural. You want to know who they are. You want to know what they're like. You want to know like Marshall knows guys from the minors and he knows who they are. And that's just, we want to know who these guys are. So it's, always cool. Like that was, I was glued to the TV during the Nestor Trevino thing uh, when he was telling them, and they were talking about what pitch he wanted to throw. I was making dinner and like, I walked away from the kitchen to watch that because it was so interesting. I love my favorite part about baseball is the, the pitcher hitter battle. Like I think that back and forth is the most intriguing thing about baseball, the adjustments, all of that. But yes, anytime you can see personality. Now it feels like we know Alec Manoa, you know what I mean? Like after last night, it feels like, you know who he is. And if he was a twin, he would instantly, if he wasn't already, be like one of your favorite twins after watching. 100%. That. Yeah. It's, it's, and we know like the twins have actually done a decent job, I think, of the personality with their players, especially with guys like Arise, who have like big, exuberant personalities to show that off and to become fan favorites. And it's things like that. I thought it was super cool. And I want to see more stuff like that in the future. Absolutely.
0: I, I loved how he, <laughs> basically approached it almost how like any of us would, which is how fast did I throw that pitch? Like that's what I, you know, like, yeah. Or watch where I'm going to throw this. I'm going to paint, you know, Oh, you want me to throw it there? You know? And yeah. The one time of course that Smoltz told him to throw one pitch, he ended up hitting the batter, but you know,
2: that's, it's so easy to forget. It's so cliche. Like it's journalism school, but like it is, it's hard It's hard to remember that they are people sometimes because they're such high performers. We're watching them on TV every night, especially the big leaguers. It's it's a sober and good reminder. Like these guys are people. They go home to their families too. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the same thing. And anytime you can see that is a good thing for everybody. I think.
1: All right, a couple quickies to close here with uh, with Nash Walker. I love that too because you need you need to have that to help grow the game. And we've talked so much about uh, things baseball has done wrong. I think uh, Matt makes a great point there. They're, they're, they're doing some things right, even as the commissioner's making boneheaded remarks about the pay of the minor <laughs> leaguers. And it's like, it's unbelievable. So not getting into that, but but speaking of minor leaguers, that's one of my remaining two questions. What prospects, seen as now you are more plugged into the system than I am, I'm seeing as I'm in law school and just like a fan now. Yeah. Uh, what prospects do you think, assuming these guys aren't traded, and they could be, what prospects could still help this team in some role, guys who have not debuted yet but could before the season's over?
2: It starts and ends with Matt Cantorino, I think, for me, and he's been dealing with an elbow problem right now. I think when Matt Cantorino comes back, they have to make a decision on Matt Cantorino and just say, listen, like this dude with his delivery, with the workload at rice, with the elbow problems for two years in a row, the small number of innings in the minors, it might just be time to say Matt Cantorino is a reliever and it sucks. And Matt is outstanding. Matt came on my podcast this winter and was just an amazing guest. So smart and incredible arm throws 98 to hundred big hammer, breaking ball, a new splitter. He's throwing that's nasty to lefties. He is, He's nasty. And if you put him into this bullpen, I don't want to say it'd be like you wander on stuff, but he's of a similar caliber. He would step into this bullpen if he was healthy and would be in the upper nineties and would be tough. Like he would be tough in a major league bullpen, in my opinion, but he's got to come back healthy. He's on a, on track to return this year. So he could be a call up in September for the bullpen in a, in a place of need um, Spencer steer. Absolutely. I think could debut this year for the twins. As I said, advanced, Does it all, hits for contact, hits for power, draws walks, doesn't really strike out very much like Jose Miranda was in the minors. So steer Cantorino. uh, Matt Waller got moved up to triple A. And like I said, he's going to strike out a lot, but he's a possibility down the stretch uh, if they really needed an outfielder. But it's Cantorino, maybe even Woods Richardson, but he's so young. You know, he's so young and at double A that you'll probably see him next year. Same with Louis Varlin. If they can get Cantorino healthy and they can get him a couple times out of the bullpen in, in St. Paul, and then bring him up to the big leagues. That could be a huge boost for them down the stretch. So I really like Cantorino to debut and uh, Steer to debut as well if he's still on the team after the deadline.
1: Nice, nice. Of the guys who have debuted, I like uh, Giovanni Moran.
2: He yeah. continued to
1: expand his role with that, as they called it when he was uh, with us in Fort Myers, the Bugs Bunny changeup that he has is just outstanding they need another lefty in addition to field. it seems like field bar pitches every game mm-hmm. so they need another lefty there last last question uh we'll circle back to where we started and and we were talking about all the minnesota teams so this is more of a fun one we i think we asked this to labelle on our very first uh episode where we had uh where we had a guest and the question is what is the next minnesota team mm-hmm. to win a uh, a championship because now now we, we might be getting into a very nice period here you mentioned uh, the wolves rudy gobert uh obviously anthony edwards might be the most marketable athlete in town right next to jj and uh and the vikings have this brand new exciting coaching staff and a lot of good vibes ta just made a proclamation that they're gonna go to the super bowl this year wow which actually he doesn't do a lot he does not do that he's very optimistic but he hasn't made this proclamation since 2010 when they had far so he's feeling good about them and then uh, the wild are there as well which matt and i know the least about hockey of any of those sports
2: but uh but what do you think well i think uh i'm excited about the Vikes, man i'm glad that they didn't tear it down i'm really looking forward to the season for sure i always am it's always a good especially last year when the twins sucked i was like i'm so excited for the Vikes just to get a get a little break from the bad baseball for a while um i i feel like in baseball I think more than any other sport, we know like getting into the baseball postseason. As you said, anything can happen in a baseball postseason. It's still hard in football if you are an inferior team, in my opinion, to win in the playoffs. Like win multiple rounds in the playoffs if you're if you're a worse team than your opponents, it's possible. But I think baseball is the easiest one to just get your hat in the ring and find a way to the end. And I'm not, I'm not going to pick the Twins, but they would be higher than maybe some other lists. Um, I'm excited about the Vikes. But I'm going to go with the T-Wolves. I'm going to say the T-Wolves with Rudy. It works really well with Rudy and Kat. And the Twin Towers thing is is wonderful. And it's a a difference in the league. Like everybody else is doing the small ball thing and the smaller lineups and long athletic guards and wings and everything. And this works for the Wolves. So I'll go with the Wolves. And I think the Vikings win 10 games and uh, win a playoff game. But I'll go with the Wolves. And I will say the Twins as well are going to end that playoff losing streak this year. So I'm, I'm optimistic about most of the teams this year. I will go with the wolves. though the timber puppies nice. for the championship.
1: I think the last time we did this, I said the Vikings and that is like the nearest and dearest team to my heart that I'm just like a rabid fan of. I think working in baseball <laughs> makes you, makes you a little, I mean, you have the enthusiasm of the fan, but like you kind of alluded to it's work now too. So yeah. um, it, not that it's not fun, but uh that made me a little more jaded and you need to go through so many rounds the wild like i think under the radar because hockey is also like similarly random to baseball i mean you see eight seeds like advancing and winning the cup so i wouldn't rule that out but i i do think the vikings uh would would be my would be my pick colin coward has them as his surprise team said they might Ooh. win
2: 13 or 14 games. Oh, the Vikes, really? Yes, you're getting yes. me too excited, Mark. You can't get me excited, If you get I, me excited. I, no,
1: I went through the schedule the other day, and I <laughs> tweeted out that they will go 12 and 5, uh, oh, which man. is which is less than Callum Coward. So I'm not the most optimistic.
2: You're going to break five. my heart this year. You're going to break my heart. I mean, they break my heart anyway, but now you're getting me 12, fired up. 12, 12 wins in the division. Oh,
0: Nash, you'll appreciate in our very first episode, I said, I'm here to balance out Marshall's (laughs) ridiculous, you know, homerisms (laughs) and optimism. So what's your answer answer now? What's your answer? Yeah, what's your answer, Matt? My answer is ask me again in 25 years when none of them (laughs) are won. Oh, my goodness. That's my answer.
1: You got to keep doing hope. You got to have
0: hope, though. You got to have hope. that's what
1: they teach. And, and yet he yet he thinks the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are about to run <laughs> off a series of titles. Well, I <laughs> he will I, be I optimistic I about that. It, yeah.
0: No, I'm uh, very excited. I've, I've got one general rule. I I always bet against my sports teams because then if I win, yeah, great. And if I lose, I also win. So I can't go wrong either way. So that I just they've broken my heart enough that I prefer to just uh expect that they're going to lose yeah uh,
2: i mean you're, you're gonna be right a lot you're gonna be right yeah, a lot there you go yeah and if you're wrong nobody cares because they want a title <laughs> that's kind of how it goes you, so. you know
1: what the answer this will really piss Matt off, off you know what the answer might be that usc football will win a title before any of them so <laughs> yeah it's possible. i'm just saying most yep. bets in vegas among any any team this year the lincoln riley thing is
0: real and uh by
2: trojans family. They're going to move to
0: the Big Ten.
2: Yeah, they're coming.
0: Uh, So that's a that's a terrible bet by them, but we'll save that for another. (laughs) I I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on them to win it this year, but but in short
1: order it will happen. So
2: it's so funny every year. Like last year, I was so excited about the Vikes. I was like, oh, this is going to be like they're finally. It's finally going to happen. Daniel's healthy. We're healthy. This is the year for the bikes. And then every year it just feels like it's the same thing, you know, other than when they were amazing in 2017. But yeah, just, and he wasn't
1: and he wasn't healthy. So Right. And he was, wasn't healthy. Exactly. He wasn't healthy. Exactly. He was not healthy. And uh, if he and Zadarius are healthy, they will be tough to handle. Uh, in terms of in terms You're of rushing killing me. He's killing I, think, me I think we are I think we are looking at a really Good. The offense put up some decent numbers last year with Clint Kubiak. That will improve. We'll have you back yeah. on to talk about. Yeah, this. I'm excited. You, you know, we I love the Vikings. We can do a Vikes. whole Vikings. You're yeah, hell yeah. Uh, where we can, <laughs> but it, it, when we where we can do it on anything, and and then when you get big time, just don't forget about uh, this, this podcast. You know, Absolutely You guys can not. tell Nash is going places. So we, we appreciate. We <laughs> thanks, appreciate. Yeah, thanks, the, uh,
2: Matt. Uh, I, I just yeah. want
0: to. I just want to add the asterisk. Marshall didn't tell you. He said they'll win 12 games if you don't count the last two minutes of halves. Then, the-
2: <laughs> oh yes, I saw that. They have stat a new today.
1: coaching staff. They have a new saw, coaching staff. I saw
2: that stat today about if they had not given up a, a single point, they would have been 13 and four or something. Yeah, right uh, uh, yeah. yeah. If the sky was green, it would be a different. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a little dumb, but I do yeah. think things will even themselves out. That's all the time we have. Oh, before uh before skull. The skull bikes go twins the wolves everything
2: uh <laughs> that's
1: at nash walker on twitter at nash walker nine excuse me on twitter from twins daily locked on twins and a broadcaster for the palm springs power out in california it is hot out there oh man 115. nobody complain here
2: 115 nobody complain. very hot yes thanks guys appreciate yep. it and uh we'll thanks, talk nash. soon
1: yep see ya